This is the Prevention Podcast with former intelligence officer and author Dan Verden, sponsored by LiveSafe, the leading risk intelligence communications platform that surfaces early warning insights and prevents serious safety and security incidents to mitigate operational risks, reduce financial losses, and make places safer for people to work, learn, and live. I'm here to tell you as a former FEMA administrator that's seen you know, communities like Mexico Beach totally wiped off the face of the planet that the money you're gonna spend to, to in recovery and economic loss is far greater than the money it would have cost to build a mitigated um, community to, to a higher standard. You, more shelter demand is gonna go up, more shelters are needed, but then you have, you know, the, the initiatives to stop the spread and mitigating COVID-19, which reduces shelter capacity of the known shelters that we have. Welcome to the Prevention Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Dan Verton. In a lot of ways, it feels like we're facing down the perfect storm. From COVID-19 to widespread civil unrest, and now hurricane season. That's right, it's now hurricane season. Well, despite the unprecedented impact of COVID-19 on our health and economic security, it's also currently forcing coastal communities to alter normal hurricane evacuation, response, recovery, and mass care plans. Our next guest believes the virus can serve as a catalyst to save lives in future disasters by calling into question current hurricane planning and evacuation strategies. Brock Long is Haggerty Consulting's Executive Chairman and the former Administrator of the Federal Emergency Management Agency, or FEMA. Brock, welcome to the Prevention Podcast. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here and uh, appreciate what you guys do. So you wrote a piece for The Hill recently that talked about changing our approach to hurricane preparedness. And one of the things you talk about is the disaster within the disaster, or the evacuation phase. You write that these steps can sometimes have a greater impact than the hurricane itself making landfall. How so? Well, you know, through my career, I've learned that one of the biggest uh, human-made disasters is the disaster of mass evacuation. We move far too many people too great a distance to seek safe shelter when hurricanes threaten. And as forecasters are trying to get better and reduce the margin of error when it comes to forecast track and intensity and various aspects of the storm, um, the, the problem is, is that we're evacuating large numbers from the coast um, because there's a lack of residential codes, a lack of res- uh, building codes, a lack of proper land use planning. We're allowing people to build in vulnerable areas. And this problem is growing. And, you know, we're having to move more people, and it's not a sustainable process for the future. And what I believe has got to happen, and, we, you know, COVID-19 is going to cause some alternative planning procedures and is currently causing a lot of emergency managers to scramble for alternative hurricane evacuation procedures and mass care procedures. But we ought to use this as a catalyst to think differently about the future because, you know, right now, some of these communities like New Orleans or Tampa Bay or Miami, some of the large, large Houston, you know, the, the evacuation clearance times are 72 to 96 hours in, for some of these communities. And they're only going to grow as, the, as they continue to grow as cities. And the roadway systems can't keep up with it. And um, we've got to start figuring out how to build more sustainable coastal communities to keep people in place to, you know, give them options to be able to shelter in place rather than evacuate, or you're going to start seeing 
communities having to initiate evacuations seven days out, which could be absolutely devastating to small businesses um, and communities having to shut down that early. Um, and they're incredibly vulnerable to that time frame. So the focus has always been on evacuation. But you write that, quote, America must work to create smart, sustainable and resilient coastal communities that allow people to shelter in place rather than evacuate. Are there specific recommendations you're making to achieve this? Absolutely. So one of the things is, is that we have to fine tune the number of people that we're asking to evacuate. The largest reason that we ask people to evacuate is storm surge. And unfortunately, there are not enough um, there's not enough infrastructure that's being put into place. And with climate change or sea level rise coming in the future, we're going to have to go ahead and account for that, that everything that we build in a coastal community is going to have to be elevated um, to be able to handle uh, the most likely hazards associated with a hurricane. And, and storm surge kills the most amount of people and has the highest potential uh, to cause the most amount of damage. And the problem with that is, is that we're continuing to build communities in coastal areas that are not designed to handle uh, large amounts of storm surge. Um, and so that's one area that's got to improve. Second, wind codes. You know, the, the, the codes, residential building codes, um, you know, in many communities are not designed to withstand the winds. And there's been an age-old fight that, you know, implementing these codes can increase construction. But I'm here to tell you as a former FEMA administrator that's seen, you know, communities like Mexico Beach totally wiped off the face of the planet that the money you're going to spend to, to in recovery and economic loss is far greater than the money it would have cost to build a mitigated um, community to, to a higher standard. Um, in some cases, you know, we need to be very careful at what infrastructure we're putting into this vulnerable, uh, you know, in, into vulnerable areas. Like, is it wise to build senior living facilities in category one, two, three storm surge areas? Um, because you're going to have to evacuate them. And as we know, senior citizens, for example, have been incredibly, um, you know, fragile uh, in the evacuation process. You know, assisted living uh, facilities, the, their, their patrons have been incredibly fragile in, in moving them. And then sometimes when you move them, uh, you know, it, it's not a good thing. And, you know, we've got to be able to move away from those types of things, those types of decisions being put forward. I think, you know, one of the biggest things is that, you know, Congress really needs to allow FEMA to uh, reward communities that are putting proper building codes and residential codes in place that are really, you know, being strategic about how to mitigate their communities. And, you know, right now in the Stafford Act, there is nothing, you know, we're rewarding people for bad behavior. We reward them based on uninsured losses. Um, you know, we're not rewarding them. The, the cost share is the same for a community that engages in mitigation versus a community that doesn't. And, you know, in the future, I think that the communities that make a, you know, the, 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 the communities that pass laws to elevate the codes to make sure that they are compatible with the hazards associated with their community should be rewarded with lesser, you know, with a, with a reduced cost share when it comes to repairing their communities after they've been hit. So I, I want to make sure that I understand this correctly. What was it about the national response to COVID-19 that got you thinking about potential parallels to how we should adjust or alter our hurricane preparedness process? Great question. So as I said earlier, people are scrambling to modify their plans to be able to figure out where to shoot, how to do mass care sheltering, right? Um, in any given case, in any normal year without COVID-19 impacting uh, hurricane season, 
you know, if you ask roughly 100,000 people to move off the coast, you're going to see a shelter demand of typically 5 to 8% of that 100,000 that is going to need government support when it comes to um, sheltering in a safe uh, in a safe location. Now, those, those those baseline statistics are taken from years of hurricane evacuation studies done by FEMA. But COVID-19 um, has obviously impacted households financially, um, which is going to increase uh, the number of people that are going to have to seek safe shelter, most likely. Um, you know, and what you're going to see with that is is that you know. More shelter demand is going to go up. More shelters are needed, but then you have, you know, the the initiatives to stop the spread and mitigating COVID nineteen, which reduces shelter capacity of the known shelters that we have. And so you're gonna you're gonna have less capability to shelter the people uh, that you normally would. But the but the demand is also growing as a result of, uh, the you know people's checkbooks being impacted. And so, you know, people are scrambling at this point. And so. How do we, you know, combat this in the future? Well, we've got to be able to get, you know, people to to build correctly in a community, live, you know, mitigate their homes, understand how to mitigate their homes, low to no cost ways to elaborate ways to mitigate their homes. We've got to get, you know, local and state officials to really pass the building code so that there's confidence that they can stay and shelter in place. If they're not going to drown, they can shelter in place. Um, and then again, if they are going to be susceptible to floodwaters or storm surge, then they can go a very short distance into a facility uh, that can withstand the winds. And right now, we don't have those options in this country and in, in most of the coastal communities. And it's forcing people to go many miles inland. It drives up the cost. And even if the storm doesn't hit, the the money that it costs to pay for the response and the economic losses in the communities that have to shut their doors you know, out there is tremendous. So in addition to forcing changes in how we plan for things like sheltering, I can only imagine that COVID-19 is also going to have an impact on how FEMA deploys and manages natural disasters. What types of changes do you think FEMA is contemplating as a result of COVID-19? Well, I always try to look for the positive in uh, the positive outcomes or the unintended positive outcomes from any disaster. And in this one, you know, COVID-19 is forcing FEMA to do things virtually. Um, you know, and, and a lot of FEMA's processes in the past have been very manual. They deploy thousands of people out into the field to work directly with communities or disaster survivors in these communities um, to do things such as preliminary damage assessments or help register people for assistance. Well, that's just not going to be possible with COVID-19, and it's going to force FEMA to, you know, use more virtual platforms, which they've been moving in that direction over the last couple of years. Uh, it was something that was important to me and, my, and, you know, while I was FEMA administrator is that we've got to do things more efficiently and effectively through technology and not just deploy all over the place. Um, and so I think that, you know, COVID-19 is going to serve as the catalyst for, for FEMA to really rethink how they do things such as preliminary damage assessments through satellite technology or GPS technology, or excuse me, GIS technology. You know, there's different things that they're going to be able to do, but then also how they would process things such as project worksheets to repair damaged facilities um, or enter people into assistance. And so, quite honestly, I think that, you know, FEMA can use this as an opportunity uh, to expand on the the existing technologies uh, that they have to do work virtually. 
My guest has been Brock Long. Mr. Long is Haggerty Consulting's Executive Chairman, and he is the former Administrator of the Federal Emergency Management Agency. Brock, thanks very much for your time today on the Prevention Podcast. All right. Well, thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. The Prevention Podcast airs every other Tuesday at noon Eastern time. Available wherever you get your podcasts. You can sign up for our newsletter at livesafemobile.com and follow us on Twitter at LiveSafe.